Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and today we'll be covering new ground and talking about physical product innovation for the first time. How crowdsourcing sites like Kickstarter are a new form of market research. How to test product ideas before launching at scale. How agile software development methodologies can be applied to building physical products. And the benefits of innovative marketing. Here with us to discuss all that is John Fawcett, founder and CEO of Fuse Chicken, the Ohio-based maker of wildly popular iPhone and Android accessories like Togo Power and Yunbo Bean. Fuse Chicken was launched in 2012 on the strength of a Kickstarter campaign that raised more than $200,000 from north of 4,500 backers, slightly more than his original goal of $9,800. John has over 20 years of experience designing and engineering products for some of the world's leading companies, ranging from those in the toy industry to high-security commercial devices. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thanks, Will. I'm uh, glad to be here. All right. So before we get started, did I butcher the pronunciation of the products that Fuse Chicken makes? <laughs> Just slightly. Uh, <laughs> it is Togo Power, uh, but the other one is Un Bobin. Un Bobin. Okay, close. Uh, so, uh, so just for, for listeners out there that may not be familiar with them, can you tell us what Togo Power and Yunbo Bean do? Yeah, Yunbo Bean. Yunbo Bean. Sorry, sorry. Bean. <laughs> that was our first product, and that's the one that we launched on Kickstarter. It is a standard iPhone cable that we've wrapped in a flexible metal gooseneck, similar to what you see on a microphone on a uh, podium that can flex around to different positions. And the beauty of it is it allowed us to turn your standard floppy iPhone charge cable into an iPhone stand as well. So while you're charging and syncing your iPhone, you can also hold it up uh, like a dock, like a stand, and it's still portable and small enough to take with you. Togo is our new line of products, and the first was which is a portable keychain battery charger, both for iPhone and micro USB. And we're actually on our th- our second Togo project right now, uh, which uh, is also crowdfunded, uh, which is Togo Dock, which is a magnetically integrated iPhone charging dock. So it's taking the concept of Unbo Bean with a standard charge cable and adding new utility to it. So in this case, it's magnetic. You can stick it on the fridge, uh, metal objects on your desk, just anything that you can stick a magnet to you can stick the dock to and have an immediate portable iPhone dock. All right. So, so on the, uh, on the website, it's fusechicken.com. You can see examples of these. It basically allows you to, it looks like almost suspend your iPhone or Android in midair, right? Yes. So they, they have, uh, examples of it in the kitchen, uh, in the office, certainly. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know, John, if you're at Liberty to say, but, but how well has the prod or how well have your products done? They've done very well. Uh, the initial Kickstarter campaign for Unbo Bean, which was for the 30-pin iPhone and micro USB, this has been a couple of years now before the iPhone 5 was released. We have sold about 60,000 units to date, and the iPhone 5 version, we actually just finished production. Uh, our second production shipment actually arrives today. So we're only on a few thousand of that, but we have just started on that. But things have been uh, continuing to go well and uh, products are selling well. Very nice. Congratulations. Thank you. 
All right, so John, I want to ask you a question. The way I came came across your company, uh, Fuse Chicken, was that our CEO this week tweeted out a link to a TechCrunch post, and it had a concept video that you all put together for an Apple iWatch, uh, the look and feel, and some of the notifications that you might receive, how it may tie into biometrics, uh, and you know a, a number of things. So beyond the maybe obvious answer of landing Fuse Chicken in TechCrunch. Uh, why would you create a promo video for a product that you know you'd never be able to actually make? <laughs> so, so this was our third Apple concept that we actually made. We started a few years ago before the iPhone 5 was released. We released an iPhone 5 concept. Mm-hmm. After the iPad Air came out, we then came out with what we called the iPhone Air, which was our take on an iPhone 6 concept. And then now this last one that you s- saw was the iWatch concept. Mm-hmm. And since this is called Innovation Engine, sure. uh, it, it's our innovation with our marketing strategy. Okay. And the, the short answer of it is we can pitch our products to every major press outlet in the world, and only a handful are going to pick them up. Um, they, for one reason or another, may not want to cover Unbobin or Togo Doc or any of our products, And frequently what we find, since we are crowdfunding-based, is a lot of the press does not want to cover a crowdfund project until it's actually funded, until they know that it's going to be made. But what we found is that everybody on the planet is crazy about wanting to post Apple Concepts. Mm -hmm. So our strategy here has been to essentially backdoor our way into some of these press outlets by not really pitching our product, but giving them a free-to-use Apple iWatch iPhone concept. And all we require of that with our license is that they give us a link right to our Kickstarter or right to our Kickstarter or our Indiegogo project campaign. So you, sorry, go ahead. Well, so it's it's one more way to reach out and get press. Sure. And do you ever wonder that you're going to pick up the phone or do you ever worry that you're going to pick up the phone and like on the other end, it's going to be Johnny Ive saying, you know, like, hey, yeah, thanks, thanks for the ideas, but we got this one covered. I, I, I've actually been worried that I was going to pick up the phone and it'd be uh, Apple's lawyer saying, <laughs> how did you get the details? Like, you know, we got it exactly right. And, uh, you know, they're calling us to say, where did you get this information? <laughs> So, but but so really, it's just stuff that you dream up, or stuff that you read, or stuff that you think may be applicable, or it's you know there are things that you're seeing on Galaxy Gear, or you know how how did you come up with the ideas for what? It is we we uh, obviously being a tech company, we read the tech news sure. every single day mm-hmm. just to keep up on the latest going on with everything. And as soon as with the iWatch, as soon as we started seeing all the rumors come out about the HealthBook app and Apple hiring. Uh, biometrics engineers and things like that, we realized we can take an iWatch and make it more than just what most people had thought of to date, which was a phone on your wrist. Where, So we took what we had been reading in the news, applied a little bit new to it, put together some renderings and videos, and pushed it out to the press. And how, how large of a uh, bump in traffic does your website get on a day that you get something featured in TechCrunch? Uh, the day that that TechCrunch uh, posted the iWatch, it tripled our um, web traffic, mm-hmm. and 
to go back to the last one we did, which was uh, the iPhone Air concept, it actually, that video on YouTube, I think, is about 150,000 views now, and it's only been four or five months since we pushed that out. That one was actually even bigger. It probably increased our web traffic by tenfold uh, immediately on the day that it was released. Okay, so Fuse Chicken, obviously an innovative company uh, on a number of levels. You create innovative products. You also are innovative on the marketing front. Uh, John, you also have uh, Fawcett Design is a company that you have uh, maintained for how long? Since 1987. Wow. Okay. And can you give listeners a quick overview of your background in product design? Most of the products that we talk about, at least to this point on the show, have been digital products, but you're in the physical product development world. Uh, can you give can you give us uh, maybe a few companies that you've designed products for before starting Fuse Chicken? Correct. Yeah. So we we are a product design studio. We do engineering and product design for for new products for just about any company that that has a need that can't do it in house or has too many products on their plate to design. So we've been doing this for uh, well over twenty years. Our clients come to us with a product concept or an idea. We figure out how to make it happen. Everything from the nitty-gritty details of manufacturing it to uh, product improvements, ways to make stuff work. And you pretty much can't go in a toy store, an electronics store, just about any store without seeing a product that we have worked on. If you uh, go into most of the electronics stores, all of the expensive devices are tethered with security devices attached to them. We've worked on those product lines. Um, you go into the toy stores, we've designed full-size playgrounds, everything from that all the way down to action figures. So we, we really cover a broad spectrum of product design um, all the way to we've designed HVAC units that have been in commercial aircraft. So it's a really wide range. And the benefit of that is it gave us a great launching point for our own products because we've worked in so many different industries. We've worked with so many different types of manufacturers and manufacturing methods that when it came time to launch our own product lines, we really had a lot of the connections that we already needed. Okay. And when a, when a company comes to you and wants to, you know, build a new product or an improve or improve on an existing product, What's the typical timeline like? How many iterations do you go through before they may say, you know, yes, this is this is what we're after? You know, that really is a loaded question. <laughs> it, it depends on the client and the product. We have some clients where we work on the exact same product design for five years before it reaches production. Mm -hmm. We have other clients where we might complete a project in two weeks and it's in production two months later. Uh, so it, it's really wide ranging. Uh, and a lot of it also depends on product life cycles. The toy industry has very specific product release dates because if it's a playground and we're, we're from Ohio, it has to be released in the warm months. You know, huh. if it's, um, if it's another type of product, it, it may have to be released, for instance, a security device for electronics has to be released on a similar schedule to those electronics that it's securing. So when a new phone comes out, you have to have a device to secure that phone 
the day it's available on store shelves. Interesting. So you mentioned you mentioned working for toy companies. Do you know, like when Fisher Price, for example, was creating the car on wheels that every American kid in the world has probably had for the last 20 years with the orange body and the yellow top that's curved. Like, do you know when you're building that, that, oh my God, this is going to be huge. Sometimes we do. And other times we don't, we've actually designed quite a few of the, uh, the ride in cars that you described. Um, now that first one was actually from the late seventies, early eighties. And, I don't think anybody expected that. <laughs> we were actually um, involved with them, and it, it was Little Tykes that came out with the first one. When that first one came out, I don't think anybody would have ever guessed. So that was almost 30 years, about 30 years ago. I don't think anybody would have guessed that 30 years later, that is still a major seller. Pretty much the exact same little ride in car that they invented 30 years ago. Uh, you know, sometimes you come across a product that you're just immediately, wow, this is going to be gigantic. But I think more often than not, you have a slight hunch that this could do really well. But it really comes down to how it's received by the consumers and the types of reviews that start coming in for a product before it actually, you know, you know for a fact, yes, we just hit a home run with this product. Mm-hmm. And so on that front, how much kind of prototyping, how much user testing do you do with the product before you actually launch it to market? I'm sure it varies, but, but with, say, the ones that Fuse Chicken has, has launched. So we've taken a somewhat newer approach to our own uh, market research, market testing, validation from historical product companies. And historically... You build prototypes, you have focus groups. Back in the 80s, all the toy companies would bring in the children of their employees, and they had just a big room with all of their brand-new prototype toys Mm -hmm. and let the employees' children play with them um, to get their market research. That's a cheap way to do it. It it, it is. It really is. But as things have gotten more and more advanced with manufacturing methods, with being able to create products quicker um, and with products life cycles becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. You know, a phone these days has pretty much a one-year life cycle on it and then the new phone is released and that's if you're Apple. If you're Samsung, you know, they're releasing a new phone every few months. Mm -hmm. So what the approach we're taking now is a new phrase that you've probably heard, fail fast, fail often. Mm -hmm. And what that really means is it means, you know, don't spend two years doing market research, prototype iterations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just get the product out there as quick as possible. Your consumers are going to tell you what's wrong with it, what's right with it. Make your tweaks as you're going. So what we've taken the approach with is that you know, the crowdfunding specifically gives you great right up front marketing validation in 30 days mm-hmm. to know, is this product going to be even worth making? We could spend a year trying to figure that out on our own with focus groups of 100 people and then put it out and still not really have the answer until it's on the market. So the crowdfunding really helps with that. 
And then the other thing it helps with is you get the product out there in the hands of your consumers really, really quickly. They're going to come back. They're going give to you, give you feedback. You're going to discover issues that you might need to fix. You're going to discover things that you can improve. And then you come back and continue making those improvements. One of my favorite um, phrases that, that I actually apply to business, and it comes from the TV show Lost. I love that show. The uh, the two main good and bad characters um, at the end of the show, one of them turns to the other and says, it only ends once. Everything before that is just progress. And how we look at that with business is everything we're doing is progress. It's not like we're going to make a product and it ends and then we're going to go do something else. We're continually making progress until it ultimately ends. But Throughout that progress, we might modify a product six times um, based on consumer feedback. Yeah, well, that's that that resonates uh, certainly with me because that's you know we we are an agile software development shop, so we you know preach to people that really a a software product is never really done. You know, it's something that needs to continuously evolve so that it continues to create value for the end user. Um, and I'm glad you said that because. We have actually applied agile software development to hardware product design. How so? Uh, we use uh, the traditional daily stand-up five-minute morning review meetings. Mm -hmm. We use, uh, uh, just blanked on the name, Can Kanzan? Kanban? Ka com yes. <laughs> 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 Sorry, too many Japanese terms. <laughs> To, you know, essentially, we don't have a gigantic Microsoft project sheet planning mm -hmm. out everything. We take and we break the product development life cycle down into weekly deliverables, just like you do with agile software development mm -hmm. um, and continue the continual improvement that goes along with that. Uh, and it's really been quite fascinating to be involved in that big of a shift for product development because it is really drastically different from traditional methods to create new products. Does it ever make you wonder like how much further can we go? You know, it really does. And, but for us, we've seen that there's a certain point where there is a drastic shift between doing that with software and doing that with physical products mm -hmm. because there's, there's certain times when you have limitations of a prototype 3d printer building a part, it might take two days to build all the pieces to put together. And so that, you know, that can affect, um, compared to software that can affect your weekly deliverables, but it's really, um, you know, it's been a great approach for us uh, to to adopt some of these agile development methods with hardware, and it, it's just continual improvement. And we're seeing what all we can add on from that software development world into hardware development. Sure. So you mentioned three D printing, and that's something that I want to touch on. Uh, you know, from a from a tech perspective, with the cloud, and you know, it, it, and yeah the internet, as we talked about in a previous episode, basically uh, uh, the perfect storm of technologies combining to really level the playing field as far as what people can do and create 
uh, now as opposed to, say, 10 or 20 years ago? Has the same kind of democratization hit the manufacturing world already? Or is that something that companies need to be prepared for as 3D printing becomes more mainstream? You know, it's it's halfway there. And we purchased our first 3D printer seven years ago. And it was very expensive. It was about the cost of a, uh, a house mortgage. Wow. And fast forward seven years later, um, I bought, we have two MakerBots. Uh, the second one we actually bought on Amazon with Amazon Prime. It was shipped next day for <laughs> $3.99. Um, that is an, a just humongous shift in prototyping and 3D printing. From and What's the going rate for one nowadays? Right around $2,000 for, for that brand. Okay. Looking at other brands, you can get them all the way down to a few hundred dollars. Sure. Um, you can source the parts yourself and use open source design specs for them and build it for even less. Uh, and, you know, we, we also own um, a Form 1 SLA 3D printer, which was the one that was on Kickstarter a couple of years ago that, that just went huge. Um, the improvements on these machines uh, is so radically, I mean, it's gigantic from the last few years that we're almost afraid of spending too much money on a new 3D printer that comes out because by the time next year hits, the technology will be just leaps and bounds over what it is today. It, it's kind of like the computing industry. Around the time probably Windows 98 started coming out when processor speeds were still doubling every year, um, graphic cards were doubling every year, Hard drive space was doubling every year. It really is very similar to that. And I'm just excited to see what is going to happen in the next six months, you know, not even five years from now. But it's going to be slow to get to the point where I think traditional manufacturing has to be concerned about it because while the technology costs have come drastically down, the quality is not the quality of the finished product that you would 3d print versus something that you would produce with traditional manufacturing. It's not the same yet. So if you receive a, a product that is 3d printed, you can tell it's not quite the same as a real, you know, part that you would go buy in the store these days. But I think we're going to get there. And I think it's within the next 10 years, uh, we're going to see just some radical developments coming out from the 3d printing world. So 10 years from now, we could be looking at you dream up a concept in your studio, 3D print it that day, and it's delivered to me via drone by Amazon the very next day. Yeah, I and to be honest with you, we already do that uh, <laughs> for not for an entire product, but for some of our add-on accessories with it. Um, Unbo Bean, we make a, a small clip to attach to your dashboard in your car. And it helps give it a little more stability when using it in the car. And we 3D print that that dash clip to order as needed right on our 3D printers. Wow. So so uh, we're, we're coming to a point where we probably need to wrap up, John. But what's next for Fuse Chicken? What's next for, uh, what's next for you? You mentioned an Indiegogo campaign, I believe. 
Yes. So um, right on our website, FuseChicken.com, uh, home screen, big splash image of our current Indiegogo campaign. We've um, so far in the life of our business, which is only uh, two and a half years old, we've now run our third crowdfund campaign. I see it as a great innovative method of launching a new company. Um, it's the new method of bootstrapping your startup company. You're not having to convince investors um, to give you millions of dollars like you know some of the Silicon Valley startups, but you're going direct to your your consumers. And it's just been fabulous for us. So you know we're right in the middle of that campaign. It ends at the end of March, and that's going to be our next product. We actually have about fifty design sketched up for products after that. We just have to start picking and choosing which ones are going to be next. But it's uh, it's an exciting time for our company because we're, we're trying to innovate as fast as possible to come up with as many new product ideas that haven't been done before as possible. Very nice. Well, uh, we will keep an eye on the site. We'll keep an eye on Indiegogo. We'll keep an eye out for future uh, concept videos and hopefully Apple or somebody will, uh, will actually make some of those for us because the iWatch looked amazing. Uh, and, and honestly, like I've, like, I think I alluded to earlier, uh, or, or if I didn't for the most part, I hadn't really gotten like the point of an iWatch or of a wearable on the wrist to me, you know, and we covered this in a, in a previous podcast, I already have a clock and it's on my phone and I carry that around already. Uh, so I didn't see the value, but honestly, once I saw that video, I kind of got it, right? Because we all look at our phones 10,000 times a day. You, at first, when I thought of this, I was like, well, I don't want to... Technology is already so firmly embedded in our lives that I don't want to wear it. But in a way, it could actually be liberating. And, you know, you hear... Uh, there's actually statistics out there that people that wear a watch are uh, drastically less likely to have their iPhone stolen. <laughs> you know, rather interesting because uh, people come up to you on the street and ask you what time it is. What do people do these days? They pull their iPhone out of their pocket and look at the time. Um, so, you know, I see, I see a watch being fabulous for a lot of reasons other than additional technology on your wrist. But I was really excited with the rumors that started coming out of all of the health uh, and fitness and tracking biometrics that could be applied on the wrist. You know, there's companies out there today that are just coming out with incredibly cool and innovative products that do that. That just track your life mm-hmm. right from your wrist, and um, it doesn't have to be a phone on your wrist. There's there's a lot of more innovation to come, I think, for the the entire wearables market, not just your wrist, but glasses like Google Glass and I'm sure even other things that haven't been thought up yet. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, John, thanks again. That's John Fawcett from Fuse Chicken and Fawcett Design, FuseChicken.com and at FuseChicken on Twitter. Uh, and any, uh, any other plugs that we should get in before we call it a day, John? No, you covered it. All right, good deal. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Uh, keep the innovation up and uh, we will keep an eye on the company. Thanks, Will. All right, thank you. Well, you know what the music means. It's the end of another episode of the Innovation Engine podcast, but join us next week when we'll have Greg Fraley on 
to talk about the intersection of innovation and creative problem solving, the Osborne Parnes model of solving problems, the necessary balance of science and creativity to solve big problems, and the importance of asking the right questions to drive innovation. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.